Well, good morning, everyone. Well, just like my father exhorted me, we come to our series of four exhortations for these last days. And today we're going to look at the third exhortation. And please join me in Philippians 2. And we're going to look at verses 6 to 11 and uncover this third exhortation. And that third exhortation is remember Christ's example of humility. Remember Christ's example of humility. But before we look at this third exhortation, we need to review the first two that we've already studied. The first exhortation recorded in chapter 1, 27 to 30, exhorted us, stand firm in the middle of persecution. And three ways we can stand firm against persecution included standing fast in one spirit, being of one mind in striving for the faith, and finally in suffering for our faith. The second exhortation, which we covered in Philippians 2, verses 1 to 4, encouraged us to be spiritually unified. We discovered three ingredients combined together so we, as God's children, can be spiritually united. Those three ingredients included the blessings of spiritual unity, having the right marks of spiritual unity, and having the right how-to of spiritual unity. And so now we come to our third exhortation. Remember Christ's example of humility. And if you'd follow with me, Philippians 2, beginning of verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Before we look at these verses, let's pause for prayer. Great God and Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the exhortations that you've given us. Please give us the grace and mercy to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray, Father, you'd speak to us through your Holy Spirit this morning as we look at this passage. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, these verses contain three questions to understanding what true humility is all about as we look at our example of Jesus. And that first question is, who is our example of true humility? And the answer here in verse 5, it's Christ Jesus. Look with me again at verse 5. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ 
Jesus. It says, have this attitude in yourselves. How important is attitude? Watch a girl's fast pitch game or a boy's little league baseball game and then check out attitudes. No, no, not the kids, but the parents. <laughs> you see parents climbing on the fence almost, telling their son or daughter, swing, don't just stand there. And you're saying, oh, you know, be a little more positive encouragement. And if the umpire doesn't call it a strike, or he does call it a strike, and you don't agree with it, you hear all kinds of disagreement going on. Attitude, do you think those kids pick up on it, what they're hearing in the stands, in the crowds, so to speak? Attitude always proceeds and prompts actions. It continues, this attitude, it talks about attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus' attitude was one of humility and self-denial for the benefit of others. An attitude of serving, unselfishness, the opposite of the world's attitude. A world now controlled by the prince of the power of the air. The attitude of I and my and me. Instead of what can I do for others, but what are you going to do for me? This mind or attitude of Christ is shared in Matthew eleven twenty nine, where it's recorded, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do we need rest today for our souls? You ever get wore out? I know I just had a birthday and I'm over 70. I'll admit that. But I, as I get older, I don't jump up out of bed anymore. Anybody else? No, I won't make you raise your hand. I kind of crawl out or roll out rather than jump up. I don't know if that's you. But it's nice to know. It's a, a promise to know that God, we can give all of these things to Him. And He can... Take it. He says his burden is light. Pastor and commentator Charles Swindoll shares, everything that was involved in Jesus becoming human began with an attitude of submission, a willingness to cooperate with God's plan for salvation. Also, he shares this insight in his new book, Clinging to Hope. I don't know if any of you read it, but it talks about having the attitude of Christ, and here's what it says in one of the paragraphs. Regardless of your career, calling, or profession, as a believer, you will be marked by gentle humility. You won't be going out of your way to impress others. You won't be constantly seeking your own interests. You don't manipulate people to get your own way. You think about their interests, put them first, seek ways to approach them with a lowly, servant-hearted demeanor. Because all Christians are God's servants in everything we do. We are to carry out His work in this way. And again, what is His way? Christ-like humility and gentleness. Something to think about as we follow the Lord each and every day.
So the first question, who is our example of true humility? It's Christ Jesus. The second question, how did Christ Jesus show his humility? How did Christ Jesus show his humility? And the answer is through his incarnation. As we pick up in chapter 2, verse 6 through 8. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." In striving to understand Jesus' incarnation, we need to picture it like a staircase descending from heaven in eight downward steps. And this was shared as I studied this passage and read a book commentary by John MacArthur as we dig deeper into these verses. Eight descending steps. But before we begin the downward steps, we begin in verse 6a, who although he existed in the form of God, form here is referring to the outward expression which a person gives of his inner nature. Jesus is the divine essence of deity. And as I was thinking about this, the words to a song that we sing at Lakeside, I was thinking of the, the deity of God himself I was remembering a hymn, that we, not a hymn, but a song we sing uh, sometimes uh, in uh, our worship service, Behold Our God. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God. Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our king, nothing can compare, come let us adore him. And it goes on and on. As we think of those words and we sing those words, the deity, great God that we worship. Jesus shows on the outside who he is on the inside, namely Jesus is God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Paul records in Colossians 1.15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And then Jesus shares in John 8.58, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am That's a powerful verse, a true statement of who God is. The greatness of God, as I was thinking of that and going through this text, I challenged myself and I challenged you. I went ahead and did it, but on a clear night, some night, go outside and look at the stars. And as you keep looking, you will see more. You'll see the bright ones at first, but you keep watching. And if you happen to have a telescope, I'm about ready to go get one. I've heard that it's amazing what you can see. The depth of the stars that are out there that you can visibly see. 
And the greatness of our God is God named every one of them. To me, that's a great reminder of how powerful our God is. The one that we need to look to every morning when we wake up. John MacArthur shares this, in the light of the profound reality of Jesus' full and uncompromised deity, his incarnation was the most profound possible humiliation. For him to change in any way or to any degree, even temporarily, by the divine decree of the Father, required descent. Now we begin the eight descending steps as we read on. Step one, and verse six continues, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. During his incarnation, Jesus continued to exist as God, but refused to hold on to his divine right. When Jesus became a man, he didn't forfeit his absolute equality with God. And Jesus never denied his deity while on earth, but spoke often of him being one with the Father. John 5, 17, And he answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. It says can't be grasped that Jesus, the Son of God, suffering tremendous humiliation rather than demanding the glory that was rightfully his. Jesus could have appealed to God the Father, but he didn't. He didn't turn stones into bread in Matthew 4 when he was hungry, yet he multiplied the loaves and fish so thousands could eat in Mark 6. We should be challenged as Christians not to tightly grasp all the blessings Jesus has given us and be willing to hold on to him loosely. I've shared this before, but Corrie ten Boom, who suffered in a German Nazi concentration camp and saw her family basically wiped out, she said this, and I will share it with you again. She told Charles Swindoll before she died, I've learned to hang on to things loosely because it hurts when Jesus has to pry my fingers loose. So we move to step two as we descend the steps. In verse seven, it says, but he emptied himself. Jesus emptied himself as some of his prerogatives of deity, but not deity itself. The Gospels make it clear Jesus didn't forsake his divine powers to perform miracles, to forgive sins, or to know what people were thinking. But Jesus did empty himself of some of his divine rights as the Son of God. For example, he temporarily laid aside his divine glory when he shared in John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Peter, James, and John caught a glimpse of Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9. Behold, two men were talking with Jesus, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking 
of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with Jesus. Next, Jesus emptied himself of his independent divine authority. According to John 5.30, I, Jesus, can do nothing of my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In Jesus' struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, he pleaded three times, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet he stated, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Another, Jesus emptied himself of the voluntary exercise of his divine attributes. But he didn't give up those attributes as being God. Those included his omniscience, all-knowing, his omnipresence, everywhere at once, omnipotence, all-powerful, and his immutability, never-changing. Following Jesus emptied himself of his eternal riches, where it says, For our sake Jesus became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's 2 Corinthians 8-9. And finally, Jesus emptied himself temporarily of his face-to-face -face relationship with his heavenly Father. The brief separation from God the Father while bearing our sin on the cross, Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus anticipated that separation from God the Father, as he would bear our sins, Luke 22, 44 says, And being in agony, he, Jesus, was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. That's step two. Now we come to step three of this downward spiral. Taking the form of a servant. Literally, he took the form of a bondservant. Owned nothing. Everything, including his life, belonged to his master. And part of a bondservant's duties were to carry other people's loads. Isaiah 53 tells us, The Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Matthew 20, 28 reminds us, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is a bond servant, set an example to his disciples and to us when he washed their dirty feet in John 13. Are we willing to wash each other's dirty feet? Not in a literal sense, but a spiritual sense. When somebody struggles, do we put our arm around them and not only say, I'll pray for you, but I'm standing with you. Get up, lean on me. Let me help you walk through this. Instead of saying, well, I hope you get through it. Sometimes God calls us to do more than just share words, but to share our lives with one another. Because after all, as believers, we're going to spend how long together in heaven? A long time? A thousand years? Forever. And how long's Forever. 
time with that end. But we'll be with Jesus as well. Step four is now revealed. Then being made in the likeness of men. That word made refers to his miraculous conception of virgin birth. Recorded in Luke 1. Likeness refers to that which is made to be like something else. Not just in appearance, but in reality. John MacArthur shares, Jesus was not a clone. Jesus became exactly like all other human beings. He took upon himself all the limitations that were the heritage of the fall. With no human father but a fleshly body, being born of a woman, he needed care of parents. Remember, Jesus grew up getting hungry, tired, thirsty, suffered pain and sadness, but one huge difference, he never sinned. So now we descend to step five as we continue in verse eight, being found in the appearance of a man. Jesus was recognized as a man, the outward shape and form of a man. This was prophesied by Isaiah about Jesus. The Messiah, Jesus, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. So they knew who he was. They recognized him. In step six, we move on to verse eight. He humbled himself. Jesus' personal attitude, the idea here of humble is the idea of lying low, even low toward other men. Jesus, the sovereign, eternal son of God, was mocked. He was falsely accused. He was spat upon, beaten with fists, scourged and even had a part of his beard plucked out and a thorn of two to three inch thorn crushed down on his skull and he was never defensive but took it all for us. And how can we not thank him every morning for that? That we have heaven to look forward to and not hell. Step number seven and verse eight continues. By being obedient to the point of death. One commentator shares, One would think that somewhere short of that ultimate sacrifice, he would have said, it's enough. But his perfect submission took him all the way to death because that was the Father's will. We all read and imagine the agony Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane when he cried out, My Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. Jesus had the choice whether to obey the Father, and he did. He obeyed to the point of death. His love, his agape, unconditional love for us is so overwhelming, it's hard to imagine. John ten eighteen records, No one has taken my life away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. Finally, step eight concludes in verse eight, even the death of the cross. Apostles Andrew and Peter were crucified and Peter didn't want to be executed like Jesus so he has to be crucified upside down. 
Historians tell us crucifixion was the most painful and shameful way to be executed. In his book, The Life of Christ, Frederick Farrar describes crucifixion this way. And here's what he says. A death by crucifixion seems to include all the pain and death can have of the horrible and ghastly dizziness, cramp, thirst, starvation, sleeplessness, traumatic fever, shame, publicity of shame, long continuance of torment, horror of anticipation, mortification of intended wounds, all intensified just up to the point at which they can be endured at all, but all stopping just short of the point which would give the sufferer the relief of unconsciousness. The unnatural position made every movement painful. The lacerated veins and crushed tendons throb with incessant anguish. It's a horrible way we put to death. But through all of Jesus' steps down from high in heaven to a cruel crucifixion, I thought of the words to a song we recently sang in church, when we see your face. And here's what it says, just one verse of it. Though the darkness is overwhelming and the brightest lights grow dim, though the word of God is trampled on by foolish men, though the wicked never stumble and abound in every place, we will all be humbled when we see your face. I don't know, some days, maybe I'm the only one, but I I wish to see the Lord's face that day. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I think a few hands would go up. But we get through those days because we're looking at Jesus. We put our trust in Him. Is that easy to do? Sometimes we have to say, Lord, give us faith. I'm stumbling. I'm going under. But like he did with Peter, he said, Peter, your faith didn't keep going, so I'm going to let you drown. What did Jesus do? He walked over and he grabbed Peter, didn't he? And did Peter drown? No. When the great storm came up and the waves were washing all over and Jesus was sleeping and they said, Lord, don't you care we're going to perish? What did Jesus say to them? Peace be still and the creation listened. That's the power of our God. How did Jesus show his humility? Through his incarnation. Now our third and final question we see in verses 9 to 11, what are the results of true humility? What are the results of true humility? And the answer is, Jesus was highly exalted as Lord. Jesus was highly exalted as Lord. Look with me again at verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was highly exalted as Lord. For this reason is a reference back to verses 6 to 8, that dissension from heaven 
to the crucifixion, God highly exalted him. God the Father lifted up his only begotten Son in four steps. First, he exalted him in the resurrection from the dead. He rose from the dead. He wasn't in the tomb. Couldn't find him. Secondly, Jesus exalted in his ascension, as spoken of in John 20. And thirdly, Jesus exalted in his coronation, as related in Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. God rules over all. And fourth, Jesus is exalted in interceding for believers. He is our high priest. According to Romans 8, 34, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Do we need Jesus to intercede for us? I don't know about you, but I'm afraid the Lord gets wore out interceding for me. Because I stumble a lot. But I know God still loves me. He doesn't give up on us. He says, I will see you through your end here on this earth, but you're going to be with me for eternity. So we need to depend on him every day, every second. Jesus was highly exalted and given the highest rank in power, it says, and given him the name which is above every name. No one outranks Jesus. That name is going to be revealed in verse 11. One commentator tells us, a man, the man Christ Jesus, who is very God, had voluntarily laid aside his expression of the glory of deity during his incarnation, now has placed upon his shoulders all the majesty, dignity, and glory of deity itself. That name that is above every other name is Lord. Lord is the name of authority, honor, and sovereignty. This name speaks of Jesus having absolute supremacy. And it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of everyone in heaven and earth, Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Not half, not 80%, everyone, it says. In homage, every knee will bow, as prophesied in Isaiah 45. All groups are included in heaven, the angels, saints and redeemed believers. On earth, the saved and the unsaved. And under the earth, Fallen angels and unsaved dead awaiting final judgment and the spirits now in prison. All will bow to Jesus. And in addition, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Confess means to an open and public declaration. John MacArthur relates, when we come to Jesus for salvation... We come to the one who is Lord over all. Any message that omits this truth cannot be called the gospel. End of verse 11, we see why God the Father exalted Jesus Christ. Why did He? To the glory of God the Father. Can we give God enough glory? Can we thank Him enough for getting us through that trial that we went through yesterday? 
You say, well, I haven't had a trial in weeks. <laughs> I'd like to know who you are. Maybe you can share some secret I don't know about. But we have trials a lot. But God is there every time. I mean, when He helps us through that trial, walks with us. Sometimes we say, Lord, get me out of the tunnel. The Lord says, I'm here walking with you through the tunnel. Why? So when you get to the end, you might be able to share with a brother or sister, God will get you through because he got me through. To proclaim the sovereign lordship of his son is the greatest glory that can be given to God the Father. Herein, of course, is a great mystery, a mystery that confounds everyone who presumes to fully understand the Trinity. The Trinity never competes, disagrees, or differs with one another in the slightest degree. Men, therefore, are not called to worship God through Jesus, but to worship Jesus as God. And that's a quote from John MacArthur. Forever God the Father will say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Every day we can praise God that Jesus is Lord over all. All the challenges at work with unreasonable bosses, with our neighbors who keep growing dollar weed our way instead of grass, in dealing with finances that don't stretch far enough, in juggling life's problems like appliances, washers that don't last like they used to. I smile from my wife. This morning, we've asked and answered three questions to understanding what true humility is all about. As we looked at the example of Jesus, our best example. The first question, who is our example of true humility? It's Jesus. The second question, how did Jesus show true humility? Through his incarnation. Third question, what are the results of true humility? Jesus was highly exalted by God the Father as Lord forever. So are we following Jesus' example of true humility? Do we willingly serve others or only think of ourselves? God's word exhorts us to have the mind of Christ. And that means we put others before ourselves. If we're showing the humility of Christ Jesus, praise the Lord. If not, we need to look inside and ask God to do some changes to our hearts so they align to what God commands us to do. And next week we'll look at our fourth and final exhortation as we complete our study in the passages here in the book of Philippians. Let's bow in prayer. Great God and Father, thank you so much this morning for my brothers and sisters here that we can gather together, we can open your word. Father, we need so many reminders, but thank you, Lord, for your patience with me, with all of us, Lord. You love us unconditionally. You adopt us in your family and you'll never negate that. You'll never say, well, you've done too much, you're out. But forever we will be with you. Help us to be reminded to put on the mind of Christ, of humility. Jesus came down out of heaven's glory and came to this earth and 
lived a sinful life, died on the cruel cross for us, for our sins, that we could be saved. Thank you. I praise you. May our hearts be filled with praise to you. May we wake up every morning and see you first as we face each day. And Lord, if you come today, that'll even be great. But if you tarry, Lord, give us the strength. Give us the direction through your word to follow you one day at a time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, We'll see you next week. Have a great week.